I can talk about strategy and kick ideas around back and forth literally all day long and not be exhausted. To me, it is the most fun thing to look into a business, to dive into the numbers, to look at strategies. What can we do here? What can we do there? So like to me, when I talk to a CEO and they're just as excited about this as I am, to an entrepreneur, to a vision, it's like, oh my God, this is boring. I want to create. I want to go think. I want to go invent. I want to do my thing. That's happy to them. To me, my happy spot is let's talk about some strategies. Let's, let's negotiate some things. Let's bring more sales. And to me, that's exciting. So I think just like you're passionate about your thing and that gets you excited, that that gets you happy. The same thing goes for CEO. That's their happy place. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we have Regina Golbinas back on the show today. So thank you for tolerating us for more than one episode. Uh, Regina is a woman who is very powerful. She's a woman that runs masterminds and coaches and helps businesses scale. She's been doing this for 20 years, helping large CEOs scale their businesses. So thank you for coming on. And today, I think we're going to be talking a lot about the mastermind and how to actually help facilitate transformation in people and in their businesses but we always love to start the show off with the craziest transaction. So in this case, give us a little bit of an example, maybe in the mastermind world, what's a crazy experience that you've, that you've experienced or, or witnessed? You know, I think the, the interesting thing about masterminds is everybody wants the high ticket client. Everyone wants to sell a spot into the mastermind that people really don't really think about uh, facilitating of a mastermind. And one of the crazy experiences is when a client just gets really pissed and they want to unleash on you because maybe they had a bad day and they decide it's your fault and it's your problem. And everyone is watching, standing around watching you navigate the situation. So I had a situation, client got really upset uh, and she left a very unpleasant message and everybody just was quiet in our, we have, we use Voxer for communication. Everybody like, nobody was asking anything. I think they were just waiting to see how are you going to handle it? How am I going to handle it? And I was very polite. I said, listen, I'm going to give you about three seconds to remove it and probably apologize because this was a really bad move that this was not uncalled for. And she said, I'm not going to apologize. I said that I'm going to respond. So when I responded, um, she retracted the message. She said, I'm so sorry. That was completely uncalled on. Uh, but at the same time, when you're facilitating masterminds and you have these, like people are learning from you how to lead a space like that. Cause somebody, somebody has to lead. And if it's not you, your clients are going to take over pretty fast. They're going to tell you how, how you should leave your space. So that was one of the experiences where, uh, you know, it does take a lot of emotional intelligence. It does take a lot of confidence. It does take a lot of personal power knowing that everybody's watching you. Somebody's really pissed. There's a lot of money involved because you know, you never know if somebody's going to pull out and you just kind of go both to the wall part of my French and you're like, I'm just not taking this. We're going to make it one time example how this is going to be run and uh, never one problem ever I've had like that. So it I want to, this leads to a, a myriad of questions. So let's kind of play off of this scenario a little bit here. There's so many different thoughts that could be running in through a leader's mind at this point. It could be like, okay, I need to make sure I express empathy. I need, I need to do this. I need to protect my image. Give us more of a behind the scenes thought process on how you're, how you're viewing leadership in this context. So I really believe that, uh, establishing your brand equity, brand credibility, it takes time. So this is why I'm so hyper-focused on extraordinary value consistently over a long period of time. So when these things happen, 
it's not like I'm new to the game. People know me. People know the level of integrity. People know the quality of support. People know that I would never, ever, ever pull the trigger and say something to a client that was kind of in their face harsh, unless it was really, really called for. Cause I'm very, like, I'm highly aware. I mean, I've done this for 21 years, this dance. So it's, I'm not new to the game, right? Communicating and talking to people. So I think uh, when you really have established yourself as somebody who, um, uh, doesn't just come at people for no reason, really holds a lot of space for people, really treats people with a lot of kindness, with a lot of respect, with a lot of love. When you're known for that and you have to pull the trigger and activate that piece of you, people will always know, well, this is one in a million clearly was called for. You know what I mean? Because once you establish yourself at a certain personality, because you're just being you and you navigate life a certain way, business a certain way, People already know you. So when you come out of turn, they trust that it was necessary. So let's dive into the leader's perspective. When do you know exactly when is it time to, to call somebody out? When people are coming at you and you know that they're only projecting their fears, their insecurities, their self-esteem issues on you because they refuse to take accountability and take the work. When people come at you, for example, and I've seen this a lot of coaching space and want to come at a mentor saying the mentor hasn't provided the value, but the reality is they only invested for the sole purpose, expecting the mentor to do the work for them. You kind of, you always say, know the animal. People will always show you who they are, you know, based on how they show up in the space, based on the questions that they ask, based on how they lead themselves, based on how they respond to the hard conversations you have with them. You will always know, like this isn't rocket science. People will always, always tell you who they are and how they need to be navigated. But for the leader, if if a client is kind of putting their stuff on you, if they're completely disregarding that you're a human being, because here's the thing, a lot of people believe that once I've paid a mastermind, once I've paid a mentor, I can I own be, them. I yeah. yeah. And I have to I have these conversations with clients all the time, like completely two different things. You paying me has nothing with, with to do with you telling me how I'm gonna run my business, how I'm gonna run my masterminds, or how I'm gonna talk to people. Like and also I think what's important when people sell their courses, when people sell masterminds, you have to be authentic with who you are up front. Because if if I am soft and cuddly online, if I am fully misrepresenting myself, if I am trying to deliver everything in, you know, wrapped in cotton wool, in, in wool, so to speak, not to trigger, not to upset anybody and to be this warm and fuzzy human being, and then they get end up in my masterminds, well, they're going to have a quite a shock to their nervous system because that's not who I am. You know what I mean? So this is why I tell people. You're selling before you're selling. The sale starts way before that, that's the pregame, but the sale starts way before people have paid you the money. I want to dive and into this and I want to split this a little bit. So you are a powerful personality. Um, and, and so, and you kind of explain that a little bit, like, you know, if you're soft or this, do you believe that this is the right approach for you because you are a powerful personality and you want to have an authenticity in your brand? Or would you recommend that all personalities adopt this level of reaction. I don't know if you can lead without really being forthcoming and honest. Um, I don't think you can lead leaders and elite quality uh, talent if you don't, if you can't tell people the truth. I believe you can tell people anything. It's how you tell them, and as long as you keep them, as long as you leave them with dignity. 
if you don't strip them of, of, of respect, of kindness, if you don't strip them of their dignity, you can say anything to people. I've just, I had to, I've always been this way. So I've had to refine this. I had to learn to say this with uh, still in a direct way, but so people feel loved and supported on the other side of it. You see what I mean? So I had to learn this. Is it necessary? I don't know how you can really make an impact if you can't hold your own, if, you, if you're afraid to tell the truth, if you're afraid to, to, um, to be direct. I don't think it's possible. I, I, I really don't believe so. So let's, let's remove the names from that scenario so we can protect the innocent and the guilty and make a hypothetical situation. So you have somebody that's essentially come into your mastermind and they're demanding things of you that, that really are their responsibility. And then as a result of them not getting what they want because they have unreasonable demands, they attack you. So walk us through what is the delivery? Like, how do you deliver that message? Give us a sense of tonality. I mean, obviously some of this seems like it was maybe in text, but like, what's the method of communication? How do you deliver it? Give us some ideas on that. Absolutely. So I'm delivering it with the same uh, force as I'm delivering this to you right now, because I want to make it crystal clear to the client through my tone of voice that this is the only conversation we're going to have this one time. Like there will, this is the only, this is the first and the last time we're having these type of communications, number one. So it's very important. I also say things while my, my, my uh, tone of voice is forceful, my level, my volume is quiet to upset the force. Mm. So I'm highly intentional. I infuse it with love. I speak slower. I take my ego out of it. So I had to sit with it for a moment. I took my ego out of it and I had to respond in a slower tone of voice, in a softer tone of voice, but still in a forceful tone of voice with a lot of confidence. There needs to be a certainty to what you're saying. 100%. There's a hundred percent. There is zero respect to you. If, if you can't say what you need to say, if you can lead with certainty, no, no people don't follow followers. Bottom line, people don't pay well, a lot of money to, to followers. A hundred percent. And that's the same methodology in sales in general, right? The number one principle to sell anybody on anything is, is the transference of conviction. It's the certainty with which you have. And yes. so that obviously plays directly in there. Yes. So let's, I mean, like there's so much we can unpack here. You're talking about taking your ego out of it. That is conceptually easy to understand, but let's, let's dive into that. Like, what is your process for taking your ego? So like you're in a situation, how do you remove Regina's ego? hundred percent. Uh, it wasn't, I, I didn't go into the defense mechanism. Ego is the, let me defend, let me protect my image. Let me protect myself. The, the, the whole community is watching me. It's about me. What if they don't like me? What if they want to take their toys and go play somewhere else? What if they cancel their payment? That's all ego, self-preservation, self-preservation, self-preservation. I had to take that out. There was nothing. I, I was like, I was fully safe. They can stay or they can go. I'm completely okay. So it became about, let me help the client. It wasn't about, let me just make sure this doesn't happen again in my container. Everybody gets the pig, gets, gets the example. Let me help the client because if she learns this lesson, if I can give her this lesson, her life will be better for her because if she's doing it here, she's doing it other places. And the conversation was her, the name of the person, and we have been working together for the last six months. We have had numerous conversation where you have the same things and the same things happen with other people as you just had happened with me. And these are all facts. I will never say something that's not true. We've been working with this and clearly there is still more work to do. Now you've brought it to the one person who actually has your back unconditionally and has been mentoring to this, which means you're getting closer to this being done and 
look at the historical evidence and the patterns of your life, this continues to show up. First of all, we're not going to do this here. I am not the bad guy. I am here for you. These are the boundaries of behavior. If you want to continue staying here, and if you do, this is how we solve this. So this thing stops impacting your life and every single relationship you've had over the last 50 years of your life. And so this probably leads to a polarizing response, right? As, as you're delivering confident truth, there's going to be those that are like, okay, I needed that. Thank you for grounding me, so on and so forth. Others that are going to probably go AWOL and continue on their way. How, how do you discern when there's a time for empathy because maybe they're acting out of stress or vulnerability? And when is the time to kind of lay down the, the soft but confident gavel? Great question. There is empathy from my end when they're coming to me with a problem for support. There is more of a pushback and leadership when they're coming to unload at me. You see the difference? So when they're personally coming at you, attacking you for, for false things, then there's the gavel. Yes. Then you, then you have to, it's like, um, I don't want to use this example, but, um, Listen, you, you have to mark your territory. Who's in charge here? Because remember, if one person is going to do this and the leader is the weakest link of the container, you've got a shit show. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you you know yourself. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? You can't be the weakest link of your own organization. Yeah. So let's talk about broad strokes here. If you were to just generally survey, I understand we're making a generalization. This doesn't apply to all groups, so on and so forth. Generally speaking, what is your sense on the mastermind market? Do you feel like a lot of leaders have it under control or do you feel like there's a lot of work to do with the leaders out there? I think a lot of people have it under control. I think we always have work to do. I think it's our responsibility as a leader to always keep growing, to always keep getting better, to always keep refining our process, to always keep getting, you know, teaching, leading clients better. I think the best leader, our leaders, honestly, are the best students. We're constantly refining. We're constantly investing. We're constantly learning. We're constantly paying people to help us, you know, get more information and get better. We're great leaders are the best students. It's, it's true. So I think great leaders have a good handle on and and people respect them. People know that they're in charge of the community. And you know what's interesting? People are looking. People that are actual CEOs, they're looking for places that are led well. They're yeah. looking for that. Yeah. And, and they're obviously going to be very sensitive to that because they're leading their operations. And many of them are coming to masterminds because they're recognizing that CEO and leadership can be really hard. Um, and looking at the Peter principle, people usually rise the level of competence, like business owners in general, myself, I am definitely not excluding myself from this conversation. We rise up because we built a business and we now get the, we have the money to hire people, but it doesn't make us qualified to lead people or to lead organizations. So talk to me about that. Like talk to me about your lessons in working with CEOs and coaching CEOs. And like, how, how do you believe if you do that masterminds are the way for greatest transformation in CEOs? I believe that uh, real CEOs, they need a community of people. 
it a real CEO speaks a whole different language. A language CEO is very different than a language even of top management. It's a different it's different than the language of an employee. It's different than the language of an entrepreneur. A real CEO they need a community. Just like if you're highly into personal development, you want to surround yourself with people that are highly into personal development. Otherwise, you're just like on a hamster wheel. It's the same thing because the conversation is different. The problems are different. They're talking about systems. They're talking about processes. They're talking about hiring elite quality. Uh, support for their business they're talking about you know bettering the quality of their product and their service they're talking about making more money increasing their margins margins you know increasing their profitability elevating the quality of a, of a client experience where are you going to find these conversations unless you intentionally put yourself in the community of people that speak the language yeah totally i have a huge heart for visionaries for entrepreneurs that's kind of where where my heart sits what what is your message to visionaries like and can you get a little bit more granular on like what is the definition of a ceo how does somebody know when they're a ceo versus maybe when they're an entrepreneur because you have you have divided those things and i think small business they don't divide it's like hey i own the thing i'm the ceo i'm the president my llc says it so so give us some definitions here you know i think an entrepreneur is more like they're kind of wearing a million hats at the same time and there, I think, see, uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, entrepreneur is more of a wearing, wearing a million hats at the same time. Small businesses, very often a visionary because they have a million ideas. They're, they're all over the place because they're just a brilliant mind. Or what about this? What about this? Which is fantastic because without that mind, CEOs have nothing really to produce and deliver on. But CEO, they're more structured. They're more focused. They're more goal-oriented. They're more... Uh, they understand the teams, the systems, they're more methodical, they're more strategic, they're more analytical, they're more that. I think entrepreneurs are more, more of a creative mind. They have a passion. And because they need to pay the bills, they want to monetize the passion. CEO is more about, okay, what's the system? What's the process? What's the margin? What, uh, you know, it, it's more it's more tangible. Entrepreneur, I think, is more of the organic. So, so if we were to compare this in traction, Gino Wickman terms, you really got the visionary as the entrepreneur and maybe the integrator would be the CEO. Would that be a fair way of thinking about it? I think so more like it. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in your work, do you, did you find yourself doing more work with CEOs or more work with visionaries? Uh, in the online space, uh, more visionaries, but it's interesting because I'm, I, I'm teaching them the language of CEO. So more and more people are coming that are more CEO oriented or want to step into that position in the offline, um, you know, they all had the title of a CEO. I think some were visionaries, but a lot of them were CEOs because their business needed the systems and processes. They had employees, they had infrastructure, they had delivery dates to hit, they they had people on the shop floor. They, you know, it, it was they had to be a CEO, whether they liked it or not. The the position they were in required them to be a CEO. They couldn't be a million ideas, you know, at once. They had to be very focused. They had to read their own numbers. They had to show up for work. They had to make powerful decisions. They had to do long term game plans. They had to be a CEO. So let's. I really want to dive into this. This like you've got me so curious. Mm -hmm. So like I'm a, I'm a visionary. There is zero doubt about it. And like when I'm doing a podcast, that's where I'm most passionate. I feel like I'm like running through the meadow when I'm doing a podcast, like, you know, uh, singing the sound of music type of thing, although I don't sing, but you talk about the need. I, I can, I can really feel what you're saying. The business needs this. So I do it. But when you look at the who, not how concept, like that's not where you, like a lot of visionaries want to be. So walk us through, like if you were advising a company is, is it a good idea? Is it possible for the visionary 
to only ever be a visionary, like permanently in their life and career? Yes, as long as you have a solid CEO next to you that's going to support the system and the structure. I have a client who is a brilliant visionary and she's got a seven-figure global business and we're multiplying it and she's creatively all over the place. I said, listen, you either need to calm down so we can give at least one process time to really live and monetize well the way it's supposed to or let's hire a CEO next to you that you can run around with your ideas, free-flowing, run through the meadows, you know, the sound of music like you're talking about, because that's totally her. And then there will be a person guiding the infrastructure. The person, the, 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 the person behind the, the visionary that says, okay, let me take all your visions, you go be creative, you go do your thing, and then can take it down to their employees, can take it down to management and say, how do we put it in processes? How do we put it in systems? How do we monetize? How do we do all of those things? So is it possible? Absolutely. Somebody needs to have the brilliant ideas, but have somebody next to you who could actually help you implement. Okay. So let's talk about you're new. You're, you're young. You feel brilliant. You're Einstein of visionaries. At least you feel right. Truth is we don't know yet. You want to be a visionary and that's all you want to do. How is it, or is it even recommended? How can you convince the CEO to work with you when maybe you have like almost no money, right? You're literally just raw and full of ideas. I think you line up with somebody who's as hungry as you, but they have the complementary level of skill. So let's talk about that. Where do you find these people? What's the process? Again, if you are surrounded by people that are like masterminds and things like that, that that are, that have that because mastermind doesn't mean they're a CEO masterminds. They can be visionary CEO entrepreneur. They can, this is the collection of people that ultimately they have the same hunger, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a visionary, you want to build things and you want to create things or whether you're more of a CEO mindset, you still need a community that speaks the language, right? It's the same level of, uh, it's the same next next caliber of a human being that wants all those things. They may they may want different things, but they still want something more than just an eight to five job. So you position yeah. yourself intentionally. Go to events. Go to speaking engagements. You know, even if you listen to other people, go to places where people, even if it's not a mastermind, there are so many events that are opened back up now. Go to all of these networking events and connect with people. But you have to line up with somebody who can. A vision needs somebody to execute on the vision because otherwise it's just a vision. And if there's no, if, if you're just good at executing and you don't have a vision, then you, you have nothing to execute on. So it, collectively, it's a win-win. It's a complimentary thing. Now, oh, yeah. you, you've worked with a lot of visionaries. So like, let's take the beautiful mind concept that you were mentioned earlier. How do you know if you're truly a genius or if your ideas are really terrible? Like, like as an example, you know, how do you know if, if it's beautiful art or if it's just like, you know, something that just looks beautiful in your mind, but it's like, it's like the person going on American Idol that thinks they're great and it's destined for a really, really bad ending. You know, when somebody goes on, on American Idol, if they're really, really great, they get chosen and they, they become a star, right? If your idea is really, really, really good and you're actually good at business, uh, people start to pay you for your thing. So sometimes it's not that the product sucks, that the offer sucks. It's just that the person delivering or selling the offer sucks. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the piece of art. Maybe it's yeah. the artist who doesn't want to, who can't sell the art. It doesn't mean the art is bad. Right. It could be the art's bad or their visionary skills haven't transferred any level of sales skills or persuasion skills. 
what would, what framework would you put together for a visionary to understand when it's time to continue and when it's time to hang it up? Well, then they'll know it's time to hang up when they can't pay their bills, right? I mean, if I think it'll, 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 <laughs> right. it will reveal itself. It's not rocket science. When you can't buy, you know, bread and milk and pay your utility bills, it's probably time to go do something else. However, then the question is, is it time to go do something else or is it time to get, to get uh, additional skills? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not time to get something else. Maybe it's time to press in and what in, into what you have, but to actually treat it like a business. You see what I mean? So it's not necessarily always the product or the service. Sometimes it's just the person driving the vehicle. So let's talk about masterminds. You mentioned a little bit pre-call. You talk about the transformation that happens. Like walk me through a hypothetical situation, like where masterminds can go really well. Talk about how that transformation happens and, you know, maybe give some examples to people that have or are starting masterminds of how they could do it really well. I think the best transformations in the mastermind happens when you come into a mastermind as a client and you don't expect the mentor to do the work for you. When you understand that it's your job to bring intelligent questions to the table, it's your job not to bitch, moan, and complain in the space, but to actually utilize it correctly. It's your job to actually apply what the mentor is suggesting you apply. It's your job to show up and be present. It's your job to uh, show up like an adult, like a, like a, like a grown, uh, like a, like a CEO into the masterminds. I have found they're the most effective for people that are open to learn. You know, when you want to, if people come into a mastermind, all they well, all they want to do is argue their perspective with me. They don't need to be there. Like, why are you here to begin with? So you have to come with an open mind. You have to understand that you can learn something from every single person there. You have to have humility. You have to know when to when when to shut up and listen to to the mentor. When to listen to other people. You have to know how to collaborate. The point of a mastermind is you collaborate with other people. You have conversations with other people. You get to bounce the ideas back and forth before you take it to the market, right? You get, a, you get to talk about your numbers. You get to talk about the strategy. It's how you use the tool. So people get sometimes into a mastermind saying, I'm in a master. I'm going to make a million dollars. But it's like any tool. If you don't know how to use the tool, if you don't know how to ask intelligent questions, if you don't know how to communicate well with the mentor, if you don't know how to be in a community of intelligent Listen, when you get into a mastermind, a lot of these people, they're actual leaders. They have egos the size of the planet. Everybody's got a personality. Everybody's got an ego. You have to be able to navigate it as a leader and you have to navigate it as a, as a participant. Because sometimes I've seen people get into masterminds and somebody's doing much, 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 much more better financially. They're scaling much faster than they are. Can you handle it? Or are you going to go home and cry about it? You know what I mean? But that <laughs> emotional intelligence is very important. So I think masterminds are extremely powerful. They call you to rise. They certainly call you to put skin in the game. They call you to show up as, a, as an intelligent human being. They uh, give you, and also being in a mastermind, you get a preview into how other people actually run their businesses. You have, it's a whole different caliber of conversation. The behind the scenes is something you will never get to see unless you're in a mastermind or unless like you're friends with people that say, okay, this is what's on my balance sheet. This is what's happening. This is the problem with the client. It, it's very powerful. It's an open conversation and it's extremely powerful. Let's rank order of value. I, I get a lot of value out of, out of taking things and understanding what's the most important. So when you go to a mastermind, the first things I can think of is the connections that you make. 
the, the potential who's that could be in your world. Then there's the learnings, the systems, et cetera. If you were to rank order, most important, what is the most important thing that most people should be getting out of a mastermind and then kind of bullet it down? I think mentorship. Actually utilize the mentor. Ask the questions. Don't ask surface level questions. I think be asking correct questions. Have people that uh, also in mastermind, I think what's important is keep your business open, meaning open, uh, allow people to uh, help guide and support you through the processes. You know, this is happening in my business. How should I navigate this? It's very powerful because problems happen in business and real business every single day. And a lot of people, problems with clients, problems with suppliers, this person didn't pay, this person wants more, this person didn't deliver, this client is upset, this employee didn't show up. There is stuff like that. It's extremely important. This is, I think, the top of, of, of order of importance. When anything that goes down in your business within 30, within three seconds, you have a space to plug in and get a solution. Because time is money and people sit on problems for days, weeks, and months without a solution and the problem snowballs into God knows what. So I think the top, top, top is immediate access to solutions. So let's talk about that. So that implies knowledge. And so would, when, do you, when do you search for knowledge to a problem and when do you search for someone to come solve your problem? I think you search for somebody to come solve your problem if this is completely out of your house wheel of expertise and if it's cheaper to pay somebody to come solve the problem versus you learning the skill to solve the problem. You get to collapse time around information and around problem solving sometimes by paying other people to do that for you because you really need to learn the skill it's going to take you 10, 10 months to learn it. You just pay somebody 20000 and it's going to take him 10 minutes to do it. You see what I mean? So you got to measure. I think you measure time against money. What's more valuable to you? And then maybe measure the ongoing nature of not knowing the solution, right? So, so you're essentially having a short-term scenario and then you're having a long-term scenario. Mm -hmm. Like if I learn this, it costs mm -hmm. me X more than what I would pay, but yeah. in the end I've got the skill. Do you feel like in your mentorship, people rely too heavily on one or the other, too heavily on the who's or too heavily on the how's? I think it's individual per, per need basis. I think it's a really individual based on where they're at, based on what they need. I really, really think that. Really so if you had, if you had to have an over under, uh, with CEOs, like what do you think the things that CEOs think about too much? And what do you think it is that they think about too little? I don't think, uh, I think they think too much about, um, I don't think they're focused enough. They, they think too much about in the future, which is important, which is absolutely important. And I think they neglect the present right now. What do we need to do right now? Because for the future to actually be profitable, we got to focus on right now. We got to focus and, on right now. And I think they, they don't, and one thing I want to add to that, uh, a lot of them, I think, don't know and don't understand numbers and the power of their numbers, how to read their numbers, how to make decisions from that. I really have found that to be the case as well. I really have and possibly they, they, fear they, of holding people accountable, et cetera. Holding people accountable. They don't know how to, very often how to lead teams. Um, you know, all of it is a skill, all of it. And this is where I say, this is one of the skills. If you really don't know how to lead team, hire somebody who can for you. Hire yeah. somebody. This is very important because if you don't have a good culture, if you can't lead people, you can't have a company. It's not possible. Good people will never work for you. So to talk to me about how does one know that they have a leader before hiring them? Is it possible to know? If they have a leader before hiring them? Like, 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 okay. So let's say they recognize, Hey, like I'm really good at creating revenue. I'm really good at creating vision. 
and I'm not great at leading teams. How, I mean, it, in, in hiring of a CEO or hiring of a leader, that's a, usually, if you're hiring a good one, it's a very expensive decision and it can be very costly to a company if you make the wrong decision. So therefore getting it right is crucially important. How, how could someone minimize their chance of getting it wrong? Take your time. Don't just hire the first or second or third person that comes through the door. Take your time. I don't know if people take, from what I've seen, people don't take enough time. If it takes you three months, six months, nine months, it's much cheaper to take even 12 months to hire the right person than having the wrong person and having to replace them. Take your time. I think people rush when they hire top executives. They rush into the hiring process because they need somebody right now, right now, right now, right now. And they end up with the wrong person very often. So let's talk about taking time and give me, give me an example of how this works out in practicality because top talent gets snapped up like this. So when you say taking a long time, is it like you're taking a long time because you're saying like buying an investment property, I should look at a hundred before I select one. Is it something like that? And then when I find the right one, I take action quickly, or is it literally with each candidate, you're taking a lot of time so you can get to know that candidate deeply. I think you should get to know the candidate a little bit, but listen, if somebody comes in and they come in highly recommended and their resume is just outstanding and they've been in every position, you know, 10 to 10 years prior, and they've had only three jobs in the last 30 years and they have, you know, you call in the references and people say, I mean, you can sometimes tell me how people show up, right? If you have somebody like that, which doesn't happen very often, then yeah, get them on the spot. And they're not going to be cheap, even based on the, their, their style. They're not going to be very cheap based on what they're asking for. So yes, there are some people like that, but sometimes it can take time and that's okay too. And that's okay because we can, yes, good talent gets taken really fast, but we can also assume that somebody's a good talent to make a fast decision. So uh, I, I think it's a gamble to be honest with you, but uh, sometimes you, you can see when somebody is really actually as good as they say they are. I think uh, a lot of in their presentation, I think that's also a part of it. But overall, don't if you don't full, feel like it's a full yes, I wouldn't rush into a decision just to plug somebody into the space. I would never do that. When you're, when you're facilitating transformation, do you find that most transformation happens in companies when skills are built, when identities are shifted? What do you see as being some of the big markers for most companies having substantial growth? skill. So, so you would say skill, like, cause there's a lot of like debate and conversation around mindset and identity versus skill and solution. So, so your take on it is skill and solutions are, are more important. I, okay. So I think mindset is extremely important, but I think mindset is more important to the leader because if a leader doesn't believe something can be accomplished, they're never going to move on that. When you are, uh, giving people things to do, so to speak, I don't necessarily need, let's say if I had a full shop of employees, I don't need them to believe that we're going to succeed. I just need them to do the job. You see what I'm saying? So skill is very important, but it's not just the skill. It's having the right people in the right place. I have seen really, really good people be ruined really, really fast by having them placed in the wrong positions by the CEO. So it's not just, it's the right people in the right position. So when you're talking about high level executive, you're talking about uh, CEOs, of course, mindset is important. If you as a CEO don't believe in your own vision, like what are we all doing here, right? Let's close shop and uh, terminate the lease and be on our merry way. But if, if it's somebody who's executing the, 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 the work, the, the checklist, the, the things that need to get done, skill is very important. Skill, ability to make fast decisions, ability to make profitable decisions, ability to make smart decisions. I know it sounds funny, but the, I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff, right? So 
all of those, the skill to do that is very important. And I believe it's important that everybody in the organization has an ability to communicate well with one another because it takes one person to poison the whole environment. How long do you think it takes a visionary CEO to know if they're cut out for that position or not? If the person is cut out for that position? Yeah. Oh, if they, if, okay. So a great CEO will know how to lead their people and they will have expectations of people that are crystal clear ahead of time. If the expectations are not being hit, it, it's, it's a simple checklist, right? Whatever the expectation is, if it's um, poor in quality, if it's poor in delivery, if it's, uh, if it's late constantly or most of the time, if there's bitching, moaning, complaining uh, that you've probably made a bad decision, it, it shows itself pretty fast. People can only hide what they are for, for, for only about 30 seconds. It always shows. Yeah. And when you know yeah, it's a bad decision, it, it's time to, you know, you know, to move quickly. Because you look at like, you know, professional sports, NFL organizations, it could take years to turn around these organizations that are really, really bad, like years or decades. But in, in smaller to medium businesses, these could be turned around, would you say in months or years? Months. Months. A lot of the times for them, um, honestly, their margins suck. You increase the margins, you fire some clients, you teach the CEO not to say yes to every job because never, not all money is good money. Uh, you look at all of their employees, you see who needs to stay, who needs to go, who needs to be replaced. You look at all the debt, you renegotiate the debt, maybe you, you kind of, you know, you shuffle things around. It can go fast, like weeks and months, that kind of fast, because a lot of the times, believe it or not, it's not about changing a lot. It's just shoring up what you've got in house. Let's talk about startups. At what, at what point should the founder stop wearing so many hats? Is it a revenue marker? Is it, you know, give us an idea of, of when, when should a company start their, their growth pattern as far as hiring and as soon as possible because sometimes you may not be able to hire employees but you may be able to hire subs sub pieces of the company out maybe you hire them on commission basis maybe you hire them on percentage of income basis uh maybe and i've done this a lot with the clients uh you pre-sell the product you pre-sell the offer and you use the cash to fund the operation and to fund additional talent we've had to do this a lot especially with bankruptcies when the cash seems to be short we would uh, pre-fund everything and had to use all, utilize that cash. So I think the sooner the better, because you can only wear so many hats. You can only move as fast as you can move, right? So yeah. if you're doing 20 things a day, then you're going to move slower. So sometimes it's negotiating the fee. Hey, man, we're going to, let's get you at $10 an hour, and then we're going to scale this up as the company grows. I mean, there is so many dances you can dance, but you got to, this is, this is where you get creative. This is where people got to get creative. I saw some really great examples. I don't know if you've watched Undercover Billionaire, but in the Undercover Billionaire, Elaine, like it's a really fun watch. Grant Cardone, Elaine, and, and uh, Monique, I think, in, in season two, like it was really fun watching her negotiate these deals because they only came to town with a hundred dollars and they had to build a million dollar business in ninety days. So there's a lot of evidence of what you're what you're saying in there. So let's talk. Basically, someone should hire as quickly as humanly possible. Now, if if someone wants to scale as fast as possible, like give us, give us some ideas as far as that goes. Like, is, is there some general rules around like taking in capital scale? When does someone have proof of concept? 
as fast as possible. You know, I believe that going slow is actually also going fast. You know, it, fast is such an interesting concept, but people, uh, I was just talking to a client about this. I said, listen, we're always scaling. I said, we're always scaling something. You're either scaling chaos or you're scaling profitability. So what are you scaling fast? Are you scaling chaos because you just want, want to more, 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 faster, faster, faster? We can all scale chaos, right? We don't need to be a rocket science for that. So are you scaling chaos? Or are you scaling profitability? Profitability takes a system and infrastructure and a foundation, right? You do something, we, you look at it, you refine it, you pivot it, you keep going, you look at it, you refine it, you pivot it. What happened with a lot of people that got into bankruptcy is also, from my experience, is they went so fast that they built everything on thin ice. And I'm like, uh, you can only go so far because the more pressure you add to have something that's sitting on the ice, the faster it's going to collapse. You can only hold so much weight. So are you scaling chaos or are you scaling profitability? So you can go as fast. It depends how healthy do you want the, the, the company to be. You can go really, 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 really fast, especially now in the digital world. You know, yeah, you can go fast, but you also want to grow smart. Because growing fast just to find yourself at the top with a lot of financial problems and a lot of debt. And a lot of uh, you know tiny margins and uh, clients that don't pay on time. It's just how what do you how do you want to scale? What do you want to scale fast? What is it? Sounds like most tech companies. <laughs> um, so you you contrast you contrast chaos with profitability. So when you're talking about the analogy of the thin ice, are you talking about chaos is scaling a business on thin margins, or are you talking about it scaling it on thin service departments? It can be thin margins. It can be unfavorable uh, client payment terms. Like I'll pay you when I feel like it, or I'll pay you in that 60. Like we're not a bank. We're not going to pay in that 60. You know what I mean? So, or negotiating bad terms with your suppliers or not negotiating better prices with your suppliers. It's never one thing. Or do you have to more scaling because you keep adding people to the floor and instead of cutting people because you can get the same amount of labor from 10 people, now you have got 20 people. Now you're wasting time in payroll and payroll taxes and insurances and the machines are going more. You know what I mean? So it's all the things. It's not just it's the margins, it's the clients, it's the suppliers. It's all of these things at the same time. And the CEO has to be aware of it. And if he can or she can be aware of it, then they have people in front of them next to them who can actually look at all these things and say, okay, look, man, we've got a problem. We're growing fast, but the clients are paying slower, which means the cash flow is decreasing. You know what I mean? We're having to take loans. We're having to do this. We're having to give away discounts when we really shouldn't be giving away discounts because we need to get in cash faster. So you got to look at all of the pieces, I think. And a lot of people very often add to the infrastructure uh, in anticipation of the growth versus after they can finance the growth. And that's a huge problem. Yes. I So diving in a little bit deeper than that. So basically you're having KPI structured around each of the metrics, I'm guessing, between the financial metrics, the, the staffing, and all the portions of the business that are giving you check, check, you know, green check marks, red X's, let's say, on, on, on scale. I want to transition a little bit to the enjoyment of the job because financial freedom is important to me doing this podcast, but so is life enjoyment. My goodness, like the worst thing in the world is to scale a company and be miserable. Now, you mentioned something earlier about the entrepreneurs are passionate people, right? They step into their passion. So thank you for that. That makes me feel so good. And the CEOs, they're more fire firemen, if you will. So is it that the CEOs aren't as happy? Like describe like what sort of 
pleasure or like, what is it like for a CEO? Like, is it just entrepreneurs that get the lucky lot in life or? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's what they love. So I can talk about strategy and kick ideas around back and forth literally all day long and not be exhausted. To me, it is the most fun thing to look into a business, to dive into the numbers, to look at strategies. What can we do here? What can we do there? So like to me, when I talk to a CEO and they're just as excited about this as I am, to an entrepreneur, to a vision, it's like, oh my God, this is boring. I want to create. I want to go think. I want to go invent. I want to do my thing. That's happy to them. To me, my happy spot is let's talk about some strategies. Let's, Let's negotiate some things. Let's bring more sales. And to me, that's exciting. So I think... Just like you're passionate about your thing and that gets you excited, that that gets you happy. The same thing goes for CEO. That's their happy place. They love running the business. They love maybe the infrastructure. They love having to talk to their clients. They love to actually build and sit in the nitty gritty. They still love it the same way. They just speak a different language. So let's turn this a little bit more personal. So someone gifts you with a two-week vacation to the coolest beach in the world. And, but the condition is you have to sit there on a beach chair for the vast majority of the two weeks. Is that a good vacation for you? Is that a terrible vacation for you? My mind would go insane. I don't feel, I've never felt like I work in my life with this. Never. I love this. But you know, what's interesting. If somebody did that, I would go on vacation with somebody like that, with somebody to a vacation like that. That's very, very business oriented. So while I couldn't talk to my clients, I could talk to the, to the person. You turn it into a mastermind. Absolutely. I, it's, yeah. it's just, listen, it is what it is. It's, uh, I, I, I need the conversation. I need it. I need it. Tell us, cause you haven't always led CEOs and, and on our last episode together, you, you kind of shared the story of the, of the little bit of the journey of, of going there. Describe the difference level of your passion, energy, happiness prior to doing what you're doing now and contrast it with, with what you're experiencing today. Uh, you mean before reorganizing companies? Yeah. You know, right now I work more with entrepreneurs because I've shifted in the online space. I miss a lot what I used to do, not because I'm not the organization part, but because I miss that caliber of conversation. So now I'm, I'm, I'm calling my clients to rise more into the language of a CEO. And I'm probably going to dive deep back into what I used to do while keeping what I'm doing now. Cause I love it. Um, you know, for me, ultimately to be able to walk along somebody who is um, doing, grow, growing a dream that they love. And in the process, they create jobs for other people. This is why I never feel like I, I sincerely, I mean, I know it sounds really kind of, uh, um, everybody says it, but I really don't feel like I am working when I work. This is such a gift. It's a, I mean, the work with CEOs on entrepreneurs is a whole different animal. And I realized that I miss the CEOs. It's a different conversation, the different mindset, the different caliber of leadership, but I'm obsessed with this. I'm telling you, this is, this is really, it gets you thinking, it gets you moving. Like it really gets your brain working. And you, when you work with a lot of business owners, you're exposed to so many concepts, to so much conversation, to people's dreams, to how they navigate things, to so many strategies, and you learn constantly as well. So what's the contrast? Um, Just the level of, I think the conversation is different, um, a little bit different, but uh, I've also realized that I miss it more. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about learning from those conversations with the CEOs. 
Like what, what are maybe as a more complete list of how you learn and develop yourself? Because a lot of the problems you're solving could be similar to other companies, but there's a lot of unique problems that you deal with, I'm, I'm sure as well. You know, a lot of the problems are the same because a business infrastructure is really the same all over the place, right? Business only has two people, two, two things. The main components of a business are only two things. I don't care what you're selling, where you're selling it. It's only two things. It's people and money. So there is either a money problem or there is a people problem, whether it's clients or there is employees, it's the suppliers, or it's a money problem, whether you have to get money in or you have to pay money out because every single business, no matter where you're located in the world has only two main pieces, which is the money and, 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 and people. Um, I think the conversations when it comes to infrastructure are generally the same. It's staying profitable, staying on track, saying no to bad jobs, saying no to bad terms. Those conversations are the same. The difference, and this is, the, I think, the biggest depth, is when the human comes to the table. And they're like, yeah, I'm a business owner, but you know what? Like, I have a divorce on the horizon. Or, uh, you know, clients where uh, th their kids are uh, drug addicts. Or, I mean, that that's a real conversation. You know, we can fix all the other stuff in the business. But when a, a CEO, a mother, or a, or a, or a wife, or a husband, or a, or a father come to the table and talk to you just like a soul-to-soul, human-to-human, and they have real, like, real problems that you don't know if you can solve, and sometimes maybe there is a death, and maybe something with kids, and like, you can't solve it, I think those conversations are just... Uh, a whole different level that takes a lot of humility that takes a lot of compassion that takes a lot of passion that takes uh you as the facilitator need to be able to facilitate those conversations at the highest level so that people feel loved seen understood and supported those are the hardest conversations to be honest with you fixing a financial problem negotiating terms dealing with an employee all of that is easy for me but those conversations where people just bring their heart and they just drop it in front of you and you're like, I got to help you somehow because I can't let you leave the table the same way you came here because you're just broken. Like you're just heartbroken. Something's happening. And those are real problems. Everything else is just mechanical. You know, you shore up your margins. You do this. You negotiate terms easy. But when you have those conversations, that's where it's at. That's where the real meaning is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What does life look like for Regina 12 to 18 months from now? I want to, first of all, I want to get back to the businesses like I used to. And I want to start, I'm looking at starting to uh, purchase small businesses, uh, reorganizing them, selling them, doing all the stuff that I love to do. That, that's where my uh, mind is at. That's what I'm starting to take a peek into. Love it. Awesome, guys. If you're listening, write down something Regina said. We got into so many topics that could have so much impact on your life and business from understanding the difference between CEOs and visionaries and where you can learn and how you can learn and structuring and order and priorities, etc. So write down something that impacted you. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Do it in the next seven days because freedom is required one action at a time as you take steps day by day. Before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.